Well, please turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 this morning we'll be reading together verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5 verses 12 through 21. Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. And as we read this, pay attention to how Paul speaks about Adam, the first Adam, and how Paul speaks about Jesus Christ as the second Adam. So Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Please, please pay careful attention, for this is God's holy and inspired word. <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift, of, a free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, please also turn with me in your order of worship to the confessional reading element. This morning we will be confessing or reciting together Article 15 of the Belgic Confession. Article 15 of the Belgic Confession. And this confession is explaining for us what we believe about original sin. So Congregation of Christ, what is original sin? We believe that by the disobedience of Adam, original sin has been spread through the whole human race. It is a corruption of all nature, an inherited depravity, which even infects small infants in their mother's womb, and the root which produces in man every sort of sin. It is therefore so vile and enormous in God's sight that it is enough to condemn the human race, and it is not abolished or wholly uprooted even by baptism, seeing that sin constantly boils forth as though from a contaminated spring. 
Nevertheless, it is not imputed to God's children for their condemnation, but is forgiven by his grace and mercy, not to put them to sleep, but so that the awareness of this corruption might often make believers groan as they long to be set free from the body of this death. Therefore, we reject the error of the Pelagians who say that this sin is nothing else than a matter of imitation. Let's pray and ask that the Lord would bless our consideration this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in both books of Revelation, uh, your book of creation, which is that most elegant book in which all creatures, great and small, are like characters, signs, and words that point us to your existence, your divinity, your power, and your glory. We thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in your word and through your common and preserving grace. You have uh, kept this word pure and undefiled so that here, even now today, we can glean from it and be built up in our most holy faith. We ask that your spirit would be present and that you would write upon our heart this word that you have given to us this morning. We ask all these things in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, boys and girls, what are we called to do with our hearts and mouths? Owen or Wyatt? Yes. Believe and confess. Good. We're called to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths the truth of, of God's gospel. Now, what is God according to that first article? Lillian? Single, simple, and spiritual. How does God reveal himself? How is, Noel? Through his word and through creation. And what is, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Remember those? Uh, Violet? Very good. The inspired, authoritative, and sufficient word of God. What is the Trinity? What is the Trinity? Violet? One essence and three persons. Good. And, and after we considered the Trinity, we considered who Jesus is. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. The Spirit proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. And then when it comes to creation, boys and girls, did God create everything from something or everything from nothing? Noel? Everything from nothing. And God didn't just leave creation to govern itself, but he continues to govern and rule all things through his powerful word. Well, last week we uh, considered the creation and fall of man, that man was creating the image of God, but um, fell from that majestic state in which he was originally placed in the garden. And now we are going to continue to consider this topic of, of sin. Well, one of the distinctive features of reformational preaching uh, is or was catechism preaching. In the Reformation, the churches of the Reformation quickly added a second afternoon service. And in this service, a catechism ser uh, sermon was preached. Now, catechism sermons are not sermons that are based on man-made documents, but rather they're sermons that seek to expound biblical doctrine through the lens of a creed, a confession, or a catechism. Now, you might ask, well, why? Why did the churches of the Reformation seek to institute this practice of holding a second catechism service and having catechism sermons? Well, they did this in part to be faithful to what the Apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 20. In Acts chapter 20, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders. 
And he tells the Ephesian elders that he has not failed to preach the whole counsel of God. What this tells us is that the church needs the whole counsel of God. And so how can we as a church seek to give you as congregants the whole counsel of God? Well, in part, we can do this by preaching passage by passage through books of the Bible. However, if this is the only part of a congregation's spiritual diet, how many sermons will a congregation receive on baptism or the Lord's Supper or the ascension of Christ or the keys of the kingdom? Probably not very many. And therefore, the churches of the Reformation sought to supplement passage-by-passage preaching with catechism preaching in which the main truths of Scripture, the main and most important doctrines of Scripture are regularly taught to the children and to the people of God. And therefore, it's because of our commitment to catechism preaching that we are spending yet another week on this doctrine of sin. Now, this is a doctrine that's very easy to bypass. It's not a doctrine that tickles our ears. But it's a very important doctrine because if we get this doctrine wrong, then we most likely will get the gospel wrong as well. And so, again, it's because of our commitment to catechism preaching that we spend time on this topic and believe that this topic is important and you as a congregation will receive regular regular instruction on the topic of sin and original sin. And so this is the topic that's before us, original sin original sin. So as we consider this doctrine this morning, I'd like to do so in two ways. First, we'll consider what is original sin. And then second of all, we'll consider the remedy for original sin. So what is original sin? Well, original sin involves essentially three things. It first involves union with the first Adam. It involves receiving the guilt of the first Adam's sin. And last of all, it involves the corruption of our nature. And so we talk a lot about being united to Christ. Again, boys and girls, you probably know very well at this point, the first question and answer of our catechism, that we belong body and soul, life and in death to our faithful savior, Jesus Christ. This is talking about our union with Christ. Well, the corollary to our union with Christ is Union with the first Adam. You'll notice that Romans 5 speaks about Adam and Christ as being federal representative figures. Their actions had consequences for the many. And so we either belong to Adam or Christ, either the first Adam or the second Adam. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Now, after the fall, we all are born into this world in Adam, being united to our first father. One of the consequences of being united to the first Adam is that we receive the guilt of his sin. We receive the guilt of his sin. This is what we read in verses 18 and 19 of Romans 5. Paul says, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation or guilt for all men, Um, And then he goes on to speak about the work of Christ. And then in verse 19, Paul yet again says, For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So because we are in Adam, because we're united to Adam, 
we receive the guilt of his sin. Or to put it another way, the guilt of Adam's sin is imputed to us. One way you can think of imputation is in a fiscal manner. So Adam's performance, Adam's um, life in the garden, uh, either would have led to a deposit in your account or the incurring of, of debt to your account. So if he would have perfectly obeyed, then based on that obedience, your account would have been uh, filled with wealth. But because Adam transgressed his commission, he transgressed the commandment of life, he incurred debt not just for himself, but for all of his posterity. The moment Adam sinned, the moment Adam sinned, the gavel of God's judgment went down upon all of humanity. In Adam's sin, we all were made sinners. In Adam's sin, we all were condemned. The guilt of Adam's sin was imputed to us. And so when we refer to original sin, what we're referring to is that Adam's sin was the origin, the source, the font of all sin that happens in this universe. Well, one of the consequences of the guilt of sin, this, this, this verdict of condemnation that we all receive based on Adam's performance is that we have corrupt natures. We have corrupt natures. And this is the aspect of original sin that the Belgic Confession really focuses upon. <clears throat> You'll notice that the Confession speaks about how original sin is the, is the corruption of all nature. It is an inherited depravity, and it infects infants in the womb. This corruption of nature means that we are inclined towards all evil by nature. It means that our sin problem begins in the womb. Again, think of what David says in Psalm 51. In sin, my mother conceived me. And this corruption is total. Right? It's a corruption of all nature. And last week I, I mentioned that total depravity, total corruption doesn't mean that we're as bad as we possibly could be. Thanks be to God that he is still preserving the image of God within us. Total depravity or total corruption means that every part of us has been tainted by the fall. Every part of us uh, uh, receives or shares in that corruption of sin. And part of this corruption also means that we're totally unable to choose the good. Again, I mentioned last week that based on Adam's sin, we lost free will in the sense that we cannot make uh, choices or we cannot act contrary to our nature. We have freedom within the bounds of our nature. And if our nature is corrupt, then we're only going to choose corrupt things. We have free agency, but we don't have free will. Uh, we lost that ability. Well, you'll notice that the Belgic Confession illustrates this idea of original sin by referring to the biblical analogy of a tree and its fruits. So the Confession says that original sin is like the root of a tree, and that root produces the fruit of our actual daily sins. And so the sins of omission and commission that you commit throughout your day, the, the sins that you commit with your head, your heart, your hands, all of those sins proceed from the root of original sin. Uh, the confession also uses the imagery of a fountain. 
the fountain is original sin. And all of our actual daily sins that we struggle against proceed from that fountain of original sin, from the fountain of our corrupt nature. Now, at the very end of Article 15, the confession references a heretic from the early church, Pelagius. And Pelagius lived in the 4th and 5th century, and he was a contemporary and interlocutor with Augustine, the great church father. And Pelagius disagreed with Augustine's view of sin, which essentially is our view of sin, in Article 15 of the Belgic Confession. And Pelagius essentially believed that we are made sinners not by imputation, but by imitation. We are made sinners not by imputation, but by imitation. So it's not as if Adam's sin had consequences for the many in that you know, his sin brought down the gavel of God's judgment for all of humanity. Rather, Adam basically just gave us a bad example. And so we are born pure, but what happens all too often is we follow in the footsteps of our first father, Adam. We follow his bad example. Or again, if you continue the fiscal imagery, we follow in the example of his bad spending habits. That's how we are made sinners. And so Article 15 um, very strongly opposes and, and um, contradicts that view of Pelagius and says that no, original sin involves being united to that first Adam. And in union with, that Adam, with Adam, we receive the guilt of his sin and we are made corrupt totally corrupt in our natures. Well, what is the remedy for this original sin? You'll notice that the second part of the, the confession speaks about remedies to original sin. And the confession first tells us what the remedy is not, and then the confession tells us what the remedy is. So first of all, notice that the remedy is not baptism. The confession very clearly tells us that baptism does not wash away original sin. This is further evidence that the Reformation was truly a Reformation and not a revolution. The Reformation was a Reformation, not a revolution. All the reformers and even the reformed tradition agreed with the Catholic Church that infants were to be baptized. Infants were a part of the church and the covenant community and thus a proper recipient of the church's teaching and nurture and instruction. Where the Reformed Church disagreed with the Catholic Church was over the efficacy of baptism. The Roman Catholic Church believes that the Holy Spirit always and automatically regenerates infants through the waters of baptism. The Roman Catholic Church believes that the Holy Spirit always and automatically regenerates infants through the waters of baptism. The Reformed Church, however, asserted along with Jesus in John chapter 3 that we, we do not know the mind of the Spirit. The Spirit is like the wind. We do not know where the Spirit comes from or where the Spirit goes. And so the Spirit is free to regenerate a child before baptism, in the moment of the administration of baptism, or after baptism. We're not tying the Spirit down to the waters of baptism. Baptism is not regeneration. Baptism is not salvation. It's a sign and seal of those realities. And the Spirit can bring the fulfillment of those realities to a child's heart according to his timing and his, in his will. <clears throat> and so when we baptize children, uh, we are not doing it out of tradition or superstition. We're doing it because we believe that the promise of the remedy for original sin is for them. 
for them to believe in their hearts and profess with their mouths. And so the confession is very clear. Baptism does not wipe away original sin. And so what wipes away original sin? The grace and mercy of God. The grace and mercy of God. And how does the grace and mercy of God wipe away our original sin? Well, first, through God's grace, he breaks the union that we have with the first Adam and unites us to the second Adam. So he breaks the union that we have with the first Adam and unites us to Jesus Christ so that we belong body and soul, life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And in union with Christ, the guilt of our sin is taken away and replaced with the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that the guilt of Adam's sin, which was credited or imputed to us, is taken away. It's removed from our account and it's replaced with the wealth of Jesus' righteousness. Then, as a consequence of that imputed righteousness of Christ, as a consequence of our justification, our corrupt nature is being renewed or sanctified to mirror the image of Jesus Christ. So notice the parallel between original sin and our salvation. We are born united to Adam, and thus we receive the guilt of Adam's sin, and we are made corrupt in our nature. What God does in his grace and mercy is he breaks that union we have with the first Adam, unites us to Jesus Christ, and in that union that we have with Jesus, he replaces the guilt of sin with the righteousness of Jesus, and our corrupt nature is sanctified and renewed. Now, of course, we know the reality of living in this present age is that though we are justified, though we are united to Christ, though we are being sanctified, we still have a sinful nature. We still have an old man that that exists within us. And so the confession ends by saying that we should groan. We should groan for that day of full redemption, that day when there will no longer be a remnant of sin within us and we will receive new bodies, bodies that mirror the very body of our Lord Jesus Christ. And and therefore, how should we respond to this article of original sin, this doctrine of original sin? Well, we should groan, long for that day of redemption. But we also should respond by confessing our sins, by uh, inculcating the habit of repentance within our lives. This is one of the reasons why in our first service we hear the law and confess our sins every Lord's Day. This is a habit that we are to, to have as Christians. But we also should respond by trusting not in ourselves, Again, trusting, as I said last week, not in our experience or in the vitality or quality of our faith, but we are to trust in the grace and mercy of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. 